Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on lead guitar, it's Slash. The only man born after 1880 to really pull off a top hat, Slash was of course a founding member of Guns N' Roses, and today we'll be learning all about his life, his virtuosic guitarmanship, and his haberdashery through his memoir, Slash. Slash. But first, Molly, why is this a special episode? This is special because it is, it's not quite our calendar year anniversary of and intro, but it's a year's of worth of episodes. Is that right? A year's worth of episodes. We do this epi- this podcast once every two weeks, and we have now uh, put out 52 weeks worth of these. So we started this around this time last year with, of course... Duff McKagan. Duff McKagan. The bassist of Guns N' Roses. Whose stage presence and uh, interesting life story was one of the impetuses for us to start this. We uh, just got obsessed about talking about Duff and figured out we needed a larger medium for which to express our Duff session. We had to put it on tape. We just had to put these Duff thoughts on tape. Every time I see Duff, like I was watching YouTube videos of Guns N' Roses while I was working on notes for the show, and I just... The first thing that escapes my lips is always Duff look, just looks so cool. He just does look so cool. I just love him so much. Uh, he is real and he is strong and he is my friend. <laughs> yes. So we figured we had to go back to, well, we didn't have to, but it would be nice to go back to the source well from which we, uh, we this podcast really sprung from. And I think we've come a long way uh, since the early days of this podcast when we would spend over two hours talking about one subject. Now we try to keep it down to a clean 90. A lean, a, a lean fight 90. 90. Uh, yeah, we've, we've come a long way from, you know, a two-parter episode on Blink-182's drummer, although Bachelor Party shenanigans will make a reappearance. Oh, yeah? And uh, we all that remember is, the epic blowjob train yes, from Travis Barker's Bachelor The 30-person blowbang. Uh, but uh, we're, we're not quite at that scale, but uh, perhaps in drama and intrigue, we'll be back there once again. Great. I'm excited to go back to these these good bad boys. Uh, Guns N' Roses, of course. I mean, it, it is the perfect band for us to really center around because, uh, you know, you can argue about what's the best rock band or, or uh, you know, the most musically talented or who has the best song or like best, you know, set of albums, sure, whatever, sure. whatever, whatever. But Guns N' Roses really is in it their own way, the ultimate rock band, because it's just like the the most of everything in like the right kind of like operatic rock music to build these kind of stupid mythos around. Yeah. I, really I the think pinnacle you're of this kind of rock and roll excess. You're right in that they aren't the best rock band, but they are the most rock band. They are the most rock band. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. So let's talk about slash. What do you, did you, what did you feel about slash at all before this? Well, I, through our experiences with Duff, I, I certainly have a, a little bit of affinity for all the guns, guns boys. Um, each and every gun, each, in each and every gun in the bouquet of roses. Uh, but I honestly don't know shit about slash. Okay. He, uh, I don't even know if he has eyes. I don't think I've seen a picture of him, uh, with his full face exposed. I n- mostly know him as a, uh, uh, a cousin it, head with a guitar strapped to its body he does have eyes you've seen them the slash have eyes the slash have eyes it's a little known horror movie (laughs) i don't know his real name i don't know where he's from i don't know how he learned to play guitar i don't know if he was in any bands before this i know nothing except that he seems to be uh, an entity of pure guitarmanship as if Mm. they um you know they keep him in some kind of uh cryo freeze sack uh or, or bed 
behind the stage. And just when Guns N' Roses is ready to go on, they open the bed and defrost him. And he kind of stumbles out and they stick a guitar in his hand and push him on stage. Yes. That's about as what I think of Slash. That seems more or less correct. I'm showing you a, a picture right now that shows that Slash does have <laughs> these sort of friendly, friendly critter eyes. This is a picture of him and his eventual wife, uh, now ex-wife, Perla. Yeah. Uh, and he look, he's looking friendly, fresh, um, and he's got eyebrows. This looks like any picture of like maybe your uncle's sleazy friend from when they were young uh, at like, you know, the hard rock Vegas or whatever. Yeah. They're um, kind yeah. of ambiently near a hot tub, but not necessarily in it. I feel like Slash has been pretty close to a hot tub for, for the past most, like 15 For the majority years. of his life. Yeah. He lives a hot tub adjacent lifestyle. Yeah. Wouldn't we all like to live that way? Rather be in a hot tub than out of one. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I, I knew of Slash as the sort of mythical guitar man figure. Um, although he's I like, do, he's I, like a man grew out of a guitar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, um, I remember the, I think it was like VH1. His wife was on Rockstar Wives. Okay. It was like VH1 or E or Bravo. It was some some show that was a sort of like gooey reality show about what it's like to be a rock star wife. And I remember his wife saying something along the lines of like, oh, you know, I kind of let him do his thing on the road as long as he comes home to me at the end of the day. One of those things. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That's from the the era where uh, VH1, like the lever for create reality show, just got stuck in the on position. Yeah. They couldn't really uh, monitor what was coming out of them at any given time. I'm sure most of the pitch meetings were like, well, it's kind of like the Osbournes, but different. Sold. Done. <laughs> you had me at butt. Uh, you had me at butt. Um, let's talk about Slash. Tell me about Slash. I will tell, I'll, I'll reveal some truths about him that you might. I can't wait known. to gasp at learning his real name. His name is Saul Hudson. Ha! Saul Hudson. I was um, not expecting Saul. He was born on July 23rd, 1965 in Stoke-on-Trent, England. Oh, and he's English? He's British. Holy shit. Th- so my mind is going to be blown at every sentence. His mother is African-American. His father is white and British. They met in Paris in the 60s, living in a bohemian lifestyle. They fell in love and they had me. That's what Slash said. Wow. So he has a comment later on in the book that says... He being both black and British, he has a like a sort of unique perspective on rock music because all white musicians are trying to be British and all British, British musicians, musicians are, are trying, trying to be black. black and he is both. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like, yeah, you guys are all trying so <laughs> he is, hard. He has the true conduit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, he's the essential form of rock music. Um, his mom was a costume designer for uh, musicians like John Lennon, Linda Ronstadt, the Pointer Sisters. Ooh. His dad was like an, a visual artist and he designed album covers. So they were be- very music adjacent. Um, they lived in Laurel Canyon. So they moved to L.A. when Slash was just a baby. Uh, their house was a sort of revolving door of creative types, including... David Geffen, who later signs Guns N' Roses without realizing he knew Slash when Slash was a kid. <laughs> wow. He he called, David Geffen called Slash's mom and was like, how's young Saul? And she's like, you signed him to your record label. <laughs> <laughs> how's the boy Saul? That's kind of an amazing uh, example of unnepotism. Yes. Yeah, it is. Well, because on one hand, he's exposed to all this creativity and has this childhood that no, like normies could never dream of. Yes. Because um, like Duff's book is so different in that he's just basically yeah, like he's a normal Irish yeah, yeah. Seattle yeah. family. Sure. Um, but he's he's both exposed to but also kind of independent from that lifestyle. Um, his parents separate when he's a kid. His mom ends up dating David Bowie. Bowie. 
knock it off the 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 bingo chart. It's always Bowie. It's always Bowie. He's but got his, he's got at least one finger in every major artist story. <laughs> I was gonna say in every major artist because yes, that, that too. too. Um, so the, yeah, the, I guess they were both pr- practicing uh, transcendental meditation, and that's how they met. Slash his mom sure. and David. Uh, and doing transcendental meditation in Hollywood seems like just a great networking opportunity. It's sort of like the Rajneeshis, but like without yeah. the really going well, all in. Well, it's good because you can be like you can like meet powerful people, but you can also be like, but I'm like centered and spiritual yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and it's like a ho- it's like a spiritual hobby. Like yeah. you don't have to like go. <laughs> 100%. It is like a spiritual hobby. Yeah. Um, he said that uh, at the time seeing his mom date David Bowie was like watching an alien land in your backyard. <laughs> uh, he also watches a concert of David Bowie's when he's 10 and slash remarks. Uh, David Bowie had reduced rock stardom to its roots. Being a rock star is the intersection of who you are and who you want to be. Wow. Pretty cool. Fucking David Bowie is just like a, a, elemental force that streaks through the late 20th century mm-hmm. that just like shards off and, and you know, uh, uh, spawns into new creative forces all along the way. Yeah. But you know, if you're like Shuri Curie, you go see him when he plays in the Valley and mm-hmm. when you're slash you, like you know, his mom his is fucking him. <laughs> so that's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, a different kind of elemental force. So, you know, like all these sort of rock star children of divorce slash becomes a problematic teen. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a BMX bike crew. Okay. That's great. his first like true rebellious love is he has this crew that rides. They're sort of sponsored by a store called Spokes and Stuff. <laughs> Which sounds like a, show, a store in a cartoon city. Yes. Um, and they do things like, you know, they're going up and down the, the hills of Hollywood and hitching on people's bumpers as they're riding up. Classic. Yeah. Uh, real bad. You know, maybe stuff. like. hanging behind like a garbage truck you know and kind of Mm. staying out of their rearview mirror he says i'm still not sure how none of us were ever run over uh it's kind of funny that uh slash starts his journey on bikes and duff ends his journey on bikes nice connect yep that's very true uh slash is a like to the bone kleptomaniac (laughs) pathological he said when he talks about the uh stuff he steals he says i stole a ton of cassettes because i've always loved music (laughs) obvious okay and if a band if he he would go to concerts and he said if a band sounded good enough live i'd steal their entire catalog (laughs) uh and so he's a klepto he loves exotic pets he okay. says, basically, I am a self-taught zookeeper and I definitely relate to the animals I've lived with better than most of the humans I've known. See, from what I imagined of Slash's public persona, I, I, the phrase, I relate more to animals than humans does not surprise me. Slash is sort of like a human snake. Yes. Who can play guitar. Hairy snake. <laughs> if a snake had a fingers wig. and the fingers could work a fretboard. See, now you're talking about one snake finger. <laughs> who is a uh, classic underground guitar virtuoso. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But is he a snake? No, but he does have one snake finger, which is what makes him so good at guitar. Oh, well, maybe Slash has something going on there similarly. Yeah. But he's more, he's more his presence is snake-like. Um, sometimes he combines his love of kleptomania and snakes when <laughs> he would steal snakes from pet stores by wrapping them around his wrists. Oh, my God. Imagine a teen Slash coming into your family-owned pet store and suddenly you're down two snakes and you don't know how it happened. <laughs> Just walks out. That takes a feat of snake whispering to really get them to immediately wrap around your wrist. I think he's really good with snakes. Maybe better than he is with people. Wow. Um, but he doesn't get into, into guitar until his friend Steven Adler, um, sort of childhood teen friend, 
Uh, he plays him Van now, was Halen's. Adler, was Adler also in the BMX bike gang? I don't think Adler or was he BMX. More, was he more in his like snake crew? He wasn't in the snake. It seems like Slash is a snake crew of one. Yeah. But Steven Adler was in their sort of teen hellion larger social yeah, yeah. crew. The, the larger dirtbag circuit of the... Uh, the Laurel Canyon scene. Yes. Um, Flea is also in this, like, Flea's around. <laughs> At one point he mentioned, like, play, sort of ambiently playing trumpet. Okay. That's what Slash says. That that weird, high-intensity little kid that plays trumpet really well. Yeah. I can imagine that you wouldn't forget a guy like that. Oh, no. Flea and seems then, like somebody that you would meet even when you were in middle school and be like, oh, yeah, Flea. Yeah. that's gonna That guy's going to be a guy. Um, so Steven Adler plays him Van Halen's eruption and oh, this yeah. blows Slash's mind and you he know, seeks out a guitar eruption? teacher. I don't really. This is a good uh, point zero for where uh, Slash would come from. Got it. Damn. Oh, yeah. I can see how this would blow Slash's mind. Yes, this is uh, one minute. Oh, here we go. Is that real guitar nerd bullshit? <laughs> yes, this is a, a one minute and 42 seconds of pure listen to my fucking guitar. Listen to my guitar. Oh, uh, here we go. This is that real classic Van Halen sound? Oh yeah, I've I've heard this shit before. Just didn't know it was called eruption. So yeah, you can imagine someone like Slash listening to something like this and something just clicking in him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is all just it's all just a guitar solo. Yeah. Uh, you. I also just love that one moment where he has to throw in some classical music to be like oh yeah i actually know what i'm doing yeah fucking i got references bro fucking uh big technical guitar guys love doing that shit like Mm. yingo and momstein or somebody like always covering uh classical stuff i it it always feels just like some kind of a grasp at legitimizing their shredding soloing in some way yeah sort of schoolhouse rocking it or the other way i i come off very uncharitably to this the other way is that a lot of these uh huge technical guitar guys are very technically good yes and need uh classic things to to latch onto to like display them yeah and a lot of them i think have very cheesy technical tastes and so they're like oh classical music let me let me play something that sounded good on a harpsichord 300 yes. years ago you know who's the original shredder bach <laughs> I mean, it, that's tr- maybe true though yeah and we're, i'm gonna, about to blow him out of the park i don't know if ladies were you know throwing their they had a lot more undergarments back then Just a too, lot more to throw so they could have gotten rid of a lot and probably still been okay um but i don't think that was that the scene back then <laughs> um so yeah i think the the direct dna of slash's guitar playing is van halen eruption and he's like what if this but like actually like cool (laughs) yes because i I mean i'm sure a lot of people thought van halen was cool i think a lot of what my blind spot of analyzing the guns and roses-ness is where did they fall on the corny cool spectrum at this time when it was the late 80s and they were coming off of this mid 80s hard rock music but Mm -hmm. they weren't the yeah they were like a generation behind somewhere like a half generation behind the hair metal and a half generation ahead of grunge so it's 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 i mean i think there's a reason that they're 
initial spurt of career is so short. Yes. Um, I think Slash actually is helpful for placing it just because he, so he basically, he's like this young teen on the LA scene. Like he's, they go see Van Halen shows. They go see Motley Crue shows. Um, they make fake IDs and that's how they <laughs> get in. And also Slash just steals weed from his mom and he has it, or, you know, ambiently to smoke with whoever wants it. And he's like, he, th- he thanks his mom. He's like, I thank my mom for this access to weed because it really helped my social standing yes. when I was a young teen. But then he goes from young teen to like older teen sort of finally coming into his own and being able to not be like the kid trying to, uh, pop into this nonsense and he's like that's when everything started to fucking suck <laughs> so like he all he wants to do is like be part of a cool rock scene and he like there is none by the right. time he's 18 19 20 okay so he's kind of like well what am what I year was he born do? again born in uh 65 65 okay. so he was he was very young when uh guns got started yeah um, needless to say, like he he barely graduated high school, uh, and there was no no college on the horizon sure. for Slash. Um, his first band is a purely instrumental band called Titus Sloan. That's T I D U S S L O A N. I don't know if they ever put anything on tape. Their most memorable gig is trashing a girl's grandparents' house in the valley for a bat mitzvah. So this girl is like, I'm having this amazing bat mitzvah. Everyone's going to be there. Will you be the band for it? And really hype them up on it. And they get there and it's just this family party. <laughs> and they ruin this person's house. There's some is sort of... Is this Aaron Mills' house? Aaron Mills' house? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember the name from the book. There is a recording on YouTube called Titus Sloan, Metal on Metal, Live Aaron Mills' House, Fall 1981. Give it Do a we shot. assume that this is that? I don't. I, maybe you that are some very high concept cover. They did a heavy metal version of "Message in a Bottle." They played "Start Me Up" over and over again without a singer. I'm not <laughs> sure if this is it. I think it sounds I, slashy. But I think this might be it. Uh, I will say that the, one of the comments under this, there are two comments on this video. Yeah. One is an emoticon for the devil horns, and the other is just the word beauty. Anyway, I'm going wow. to assume that this is a live field recording of one of the earliest slash uh, maybe performances. Um. He, you know, it was an early exercise in them being rock stars and destroying mm-hmm. a property. That sounds a lot like me and my college roommate, what we uh, did late at night in my uh, apartment when I had a full amp and a drum set in my college apartment. Yeah. That's like basically what we played. Yeah. Maybe I have some recordings of those. I can fish up. Sweet. Um, the, yeah, he, so he has this, you know, Titus Sloan is instrumental, obviously. He also sees, he he's in a sort of, he gets through high school by being in a continuing ed class, basically. <laughs> okay. And two girls in that class are Motley Crue's official f- fan club slash street team members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sees, he's, he sees how devoted they are to Motley Crue, and he's like, I want to play in a band that inspires that degree of insight of excitement. Right. Like I want the excitement of Motley Crue. I want the technical virtuosity rockingness of Van Halen. Uh-huh. Where else do I find it? Well, it's, it honestly seems like he got exactly what he wants. Yeah. So he meets Izzy Stradlin first. Um, Izzy compliments him on a drawing of Aerosmith that Slash made that's apparently been making the rounds <laughs> in LA. <laughs> so he did a good fan art. 
<laughs> he did a good fan art. His fan art got a, a thousand renotes on Tumblr. Yeah, or whatever the yeah, equivalent whatever of the IRL equivalent of that is. Just imagine, you know, someone's making mm-hmm. copies of your drawing and they're getting around town in LA <laughs> in the 80s. It's fucking crazy. Your, your Aerosmith drawing. Uh, Slash is a accomplished visual artist. Oh, yeah? He eventually, although there has been a dispute about this, he drew the Guns and Roses logo. Yeah, the classic one with the, the two revolvers and, and the and the, the, the roses. rose. Yeah, the gun, you know, the Guns and Roses logo. The, the one, one with the, the guns, guns and the, and the roses. roses. <laughs> yeah, the way he narrates him drawing that is pretty much like, well, I drew a gun, then I drew some roses, and I figured this looks pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Izzy's like, nice drawing, man. And of course, yeah, it's big fan art of Aerosmith. Because yeah. he loved Aerosmith, like early Aerosmith. Recog- recognized at an early age for his fan art. <laughs> Slash moved confidently into the rock and roll scene. Slash. Um, then Izzy introduces him to his high school friend, Axl Rose. Ah, and now all the pieces are on the board. Almost all the pieces. Uh, by the way, when Slash listens to a demo tape with Axel on it, he thinks that th- uh, the cassette glitched. That's how high his voice sounded <laughs> to Slash. That's about right. Ah! Um, and then, so they... At this point, Axel is a member of the band Hollywood Rose. Okay. And so he's not, uh, and I think Tracy Guns yes, is in we LA Guns. We have to crack open LA Guns and Hollywood Rose and recombine the essential ingredients to yes. be able to be. Although, if I remember correctly from Duff's book, the name Guns and Roses does not have anything to do with LA Guns and Hollywood Rose. I don't believe so. I, <sighs> I think it's, ugh, it's great. Um, <laughs> it's so stupid. So dumb. Uh, it's like these guys only have like four can hold four images in their head at once. And it's like guns, flowers, skeletons, fabric, fabric, I, uh, velvet snakes. revolver, snakes. Yes. Yes. All of those things. I mean, slash eventually starts a side band called slashes snake pit. So <laughs> yes, snake skeletons, snakes and guns, guns and roses, <laughs> Ske- Ro- skeletons and snakes. Yeah. Rose skull. There we go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, he he uses this early anecdote of hanging out with Axel to sort of describe their eventual difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, Axel somehow ends up crashing at Slash's grandmother's house with Slash for a while. <laughs> sure. As one does. Um, there's a disagreement between Axel and the grandmother, like Axel's sitting in the TV room when it's time for grandma to watch her programs. And oh so slash the next day they're driving to, I think maybe rehearse or jam it together has or to something. Be like, hey man, be cool to my grandma. Hey man, don't be so mean to my grandma. And so when he does that, he says we were driving on Santa Monica Boulevard doing about 40 miles per hour when suddenly Axel opened the car door and jumped out without a word. So instead of like engage and have so, a sort of disagreement or figure out, so he the literally converse, bails. He lady bird, birded. He lady birded slash. <laughs> Over the concept of, hey man, it would be chill if you weren't mean to my grandma whose house you're staying at. <laughs> That's what Axel's like, later. <laughs> Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> and they never, they never talked about it again. Did you just stop the car and go back and get him? And they just like move. Oh my God. He just kept moving. And that's, that's the essential difference between slash and Axel is that yeah. Axel I, does not operate as normal people do. And then slash will never like push to conflict. He'll dip as well. Okay. I wish that I had the balls and personal fortitude to conflict resolute like that. I know it's not <laughs> healthy, but it would seems more fun. Just drop out of the car. Um, 
he so he he boils down the differences over time between him and Axel, which is being like Axel uh, has his own way of looking at things. Sure. (laughs) Axel has his own way of jumping out the car. Yeah. Um, His own unique way. Uh, So Slash puts an ad in the paper to look for a basis for a band and he gets Duff. Duff. They meet at Cantor's. Cantor's is the deli that has good soup. Soup. Yes, this is, this is the crossover scene between our two novels. Crossover scene between the two novels. Um, he, I believe, Slash had rolled in with his girlfriend uh, Yvonne and I, I, a handle of vodka. I remember this because of, remember they were making soup gimlets. Yes, yes, yes. Yum. yes. So, uh, so in this Rashomon tale that we have just done, the the scene, uh, the evidence supports the scene in both books. Yes, great. Um, and so they had that first meeting and then there's a bit of just reshuffling of personnel in these bands. So Duff doesn't join forces with Slash at first. Axl Rose leaves Hollywood Rose, joins L.A. Guns, leaves L.A. Guns. Mm-hmm. And then somehow in ways that I still can't really understand and who honestly the fuck cares, uh, they end up with the original lineup of Guns N' Roses. Well, it seems like they kind of boggle these bands and just kind of put all the members in a big bag and shake them around in a while until... Yeah. Uh, Guns N' Roses f- uh, finally emerges. Yep. Um, and then, as you'll also remember from Duff's book, their first show ever as a band is their West Coast tour. Oh, yes. Where Duff books them. He's like, let's just do this. Let's go all in and play a, a series of dates up the West Coast and end in Seattle. Mm-hmm. But then their van breaks down. Their gear ends up going back home with the yes. van and they have to hitchhike to Seattle where they play their first show with a truck driver who's doing a lot of speed. You remember all that stuff? I, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, he also thanks, uh, he thanks Duff's friend who brings the gear to them because if they hadn't gotten their gear, they might've just said, just fuck, fuck it. it. Yes. So Lulu Gargiulo from the fastbacks <laughs> flash this. Thank you. I don't know if she read that book. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Big ups to Lulu. Big ups to Lulu. Mm. Slightly different from the West Coast tour I just went on. Yeah, I think yours was more. But fun. now that I have done a West Coast tour, I can empathize more with this this situation. You wouldn't have wanted to hitchhike between zones. No, that would have been hell. That would have been probably pretty yeah. bad. Although you'd only have to bring yourselves. Yeah, a lot less gear for podcasting than being a uh, rock and roll band. Podcasters, the new rock stars. <laughs> Podcast, the new rock and roll. Look, you don't even have to bring your amps. <laughs> have to bring the microphone it's it's nothing it's nothing rock music's for chumps (laughs) um guns start work on what becomes appetite for destruction the main thing that slash says during this this, time at this point it's like i don't know i I could destruct but maybe in a few hours (laughs) i just had some destruction this morning we'll see where it goes but you know i'm thinking about destruction maybe like a little destruction snack and then like we'll we'll get together for a larger destruction meal later on yes yeah um, slash characterizes this record writing and recording process is just like too easy. Everything comes together. It just too flows easily. out of them. All of the rock and the roll just they vomit it from every orifice. Yes. Um, he, Welcome to the Jungle comes together in three hours. He says, "Holy shit!" And he says the arrangement is virtually the same as it appears on the album as when they first wrote it. So no tweakage on that bad boy. Wow. I mean, do you know where you are? Nah. Wait, when did Slash learn to play guitar? Oh, he just learned. He just like took lessons? Yeah, he just took some lessons and he just practiced really hard and he learned to play guitar. 
You know when ath- I think I've talked about this before that when athletes do a crazy, amazing thing and they're just like, yeah, well, you know, I went out there and I gave it one hundred percent, and I just that's gave how it my he talks all. about guitar. Kind of. There's not even a lot of he, he gives some technical speak in this, but it's mm-hmm. also more just like I, I don't know. It seems to come from deep within. It's not something that can be replicated. Yeah, or taught. I mean. It's not like this song is hyper complicated in its construction or, or uh, you know, really necessarily what they're doing, but it's still on like almost every level perfectly constructed. Mm-hmm. Like every part of it is uh, iconic from that, you know, echoey open intro the to these like riffs segueing from the choruses into the, the dan out out. Yeah. He said it was it was too seamless and it's so that's assembly. frustrating to hear because you wanna you wanna know that there's some kind of real thought but they just like kind of ro- rolled into this room in a barrel yeah and just like jumped out and threw this song together and it's like one of the rock songs yeah. of all time I think it sounds like something something divine happened there perchance yeah I mean Axel is very talented Slash is very talented. They managed to wrangle uh, all their personalities. D- Duff also. Duff is very talented. And, you know, he's, especially when members of Guns N' Roses eventually fall by the wayside and need to be replaced, mm-hmm. he, Slash says it's hard to find even, you know, like when Izzy uh, mm-hmm. leaves because he gets sober and he realizes he can't spend another fucking minute around <laughs> these, these people. Uh, <laughs> that, like, finding someone who has his particular sort of feel and, and meld uh, of rhythm guitar is hard. Mm-hmm. And um, finding a replacement for Steven Adler when they kick him out for doing too many drugs. Either too many or not enough. You've got to find the right. You got to hit. You got to hit eighty-five on the dime yeah. to to really be in. Yeah. So listen to this. It's like gentle for one minute and then goes back at uh, this fucking song. Ugh. And great the, rock song. The other um, the other anecdote from appetite is that uh i don't know if you knew this but in um sweet child of mine the outro the where do we go yeah uh that was literally because they sort of they had written this song (laughs) and they're just jamming it out and and they they were sort of at an impasse of okay well how do we end this song like what how do we close it out and axel's just kind of like where do we go where do we go where do we go now and then they just end it like that uh and it works because they could have. Most bands would have just ended it with the two-minute solo, yeah, and just faded it out. This is—I can so just imagine that in the rehearsal room of them just being like, "What is next? What do we? More words here later. Yeah, I'll write something for this part. Where do we go?" It's kind of like the stu—the stupidest answer is the right answer. It seems like that is the story behind this. Uh, album. Yeah. Slash when things are not worked over too hard, that's mm. when they're good. Yeah. I mean, often agree. It's one of my big problems as a creative, I think, if I tend to work things over too much. Where do we go now? Where do we go now? In the song. Uh, so, yes, they're writing Appetite. They play shows all the time in L.A. Uh, along the way, Slash discovers his signature look. When he found yes, something interesting, that I'm interested in. he found something interesting at a place called Retail Slut. <laughs> uh, I blatantly, which s- sounds like a circa 2013 era blog. Yes, 
Um, a blog that I would have read for sure. Um, but also just a, I would imagine it was a fantastic LA yeah, store. Yeah. Um, he said, I blatantly snatched a large black top hat and casually walked out of the store. Um, and then he pairs it with a belt. <laughs> He's, he has a belt. Wait, he, so did he, did he lift his first sna- he top hat? He stole it. He's st- the stolen top hat. He stole it's a, it. sounds like an Edgar Allan Poe so, uh, story. Yeah, the stolen top hat. The poof top hat. And then he puts it in a box in his closet, and the top hat yells at him. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no! There, that's an, uh, an Edgar Allan Poe story for you. <laughs> there, you're welcome. <laughs> the telltale top hat. The telltale top hat. I'm a top hat. Yeah, I don't belong to you. No, no, please, no. <laughs> Take me off, Slash. I can't. It's I'm cursed for you to be trapped <laughs> in my head forever. I look so I good with you on me. Should have never stolen. You should have paid for me. <laughs> I'm gonna make your life miserable. That's what a top hat sounds like. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's how he got his Luke. Uh, <laughs> how about this and a belt? Yeah, this is good. I'll go out like this. And I should say that Slash is a, a very much a, a lo-fi style guy. He's he's like, I've been wearing chucks and like ripped off uh, yeah. black tank tops and jeans forever. That's what he wore when we saw him. Um, so, which doesn't, he doesn't really fit into the, the classic, LA scene. Uh, bad brain shirt uh, on black. Oh, was his, he maybe was wearing a yellow one. We saw him, uh, but you know, the one with the lightning bolt hitting the Capitol building. Yeah. Yeah. Classic, classic album design. Classic. Um, but yeah, he, I don't think he fit in very well in the, at this glam time. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, kind of stood out for being, dressing like a Ramon, the sixth yeah. Ramon slash Ramon. Slashy Ramon. Slashy Ramon. <laughs> uh, at the same time, he uh, was introduced to heroin by Stephen Adler. So mm. Stephen Adler's a little baby junkie. Um, and he says, heroin crept into my life like ivy up a wall. Uh, and he gets... Like ivy in an ivy. Oh. Ooh. And see, how, see how that goes? Ooh, me likey. Uh, he, so he immediately is like all, as one is all the way, mm-hmm. 100% love to do heroin love love heroin no have never loved anything else besides playing guitar and having sex but also heroin Heroin. right up there um he he gets arrested randomly by cops who are like filling a quota one night and he ends up getting put in as in like the the lapd just rolls up to him and are like hey you look like you do heroin and he's like officers you caught me you got me um yes i think that's solely while he, he was you know walking at night looking like slash yes. <laughs> and someone is like and they were just like uh, arrest that, that guy. one yeah <laughs> got him um but he was wearing he had to spend the night in uh in the tank and he said I immediately started chewing off my black nail polish there was no way I was going to county with fingernail polish on Um, (laughs) and he goes through withdrawal after one day off of heroin so this is when he's like 20 years old um, and it becomes an on and off thing for quite some time with with him Um, He at one point he says he gets so obsessed that he literally just goes to the library to study poppies oh my god just like reads all about poppies and the opium trade and he's a weird weird guy (laughs) yes he's a weird dude um i'm not not a heroin junkie as much as a a heroin enthusiast i'm more of like a a heroin scholar yeah you know i'm like like, an adjunct professor of heroin heroin, yes i just like to to know uh where all my brands come from you know where where the you know what latitude or what climate condition what season of heroin he's like a heroin sommelier it's like yes. what's the terroir of this, <laughs> this heroin. heroin strain like which poppies did they come from which mm-hmm. season were they plucked in uh, does he mention isn't it him and duff who take crack and, and do the photo proofs yes 
And yes, that is correct. He does not mention that episode here, I assume, because he has forgotten it. Um, I bet he was. So Duff's memoir was came out three years after Slash's. Slash's memoir came out in 2008. So uh, I'm sure Duff also maybe was using some of these anecdotes to kind of be like, hey, remember when we did that? <laughs> yes. Didn't register on. Uh, maybe this is important to say that the one of the most sort of depraved, depressing drug episodes of Duff's life, not even a blip on Slash's <laughs> memoir radar. <laughs> Um, they signed to Geffen in 1986, his old childhood friend, David. Hey, David, Mr. Mr. Geffen, you remember me? <laughs> I'm a big boy now. I'm a big boy now. Look at my big guitar sounds. Look at my guitar and my snakes and my drugs. <laughs> um, but then Geffen, if you sure, remember I'm from- I'm sure Geffen's actual thought is like, look at these fucking idiots in this top hat in my office. <laughs> oh, these boys are going to make me a million dollars. They- I don't know if you remember this from Duff's book, but they signed to Geffen and the record labels immediately like stop playing shows. We don't want to overexpose you. Yeah, we're gonna Let's get hunker the al- down, mm-hmm. like get the album recorded, but like we don't want you being a thing on the scene anymore. Right. And so this causes Slash to feel very restless and the mm-hmm. whole band, just this restless period of downtime. Um, he says during this downtime, they do things like they all have sex <laughs> with a girl named Cameron who like just is around and she gives everybody crabs. Great. To the point where we started to call her Crabberin. <laughs> Such a terrible joke. So bad. I can't believe he actually remembered that. Cra- yeah, he forgets. The, he forgets picking through photo proofs on crack, but he remembers Crabberin. Um, also, Crabberin. he injures his hand when he's having sex with a girl, and he a record is skipping uh, and it's ruining the mood. So he punches the floor to get it to stop, and he hurts. He tries his to hand. Fonzie the floor, <laughs> and he is. Instead, just breaks his hand. That tells you everything you need to know about. I mean, the the funniest part about that is that they were having sex on the floor. Yes. So he's having this like, I mean, they don't really have money yet. I'm sure they could ask the label for money, but like he lives like an itinerant person. Mm -hmm. He does not have a regular home at this point at all. He's crashing on random people's couches. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to, this is I'm going to share a gross story. Yeah. Um, Let's go blue. uh, They were, he and Izzy were staying together in some sort of dive apartment situation and they were having sex with a girl. He said they were, we were having, taking turns having sex with her but Izzy wasn't wearing protection so when he pulled out he fucking came on my leg since I was right on the other side of her I sat up looked over at him and said hey Izzy man we've got to get a bigger place oh god (laughs) I want to break this down a little bit what is the point of wearing protection when the other person isn't like at least you're good to go why why can't you reach over to your friend and say why don't you put a condom on too it's just a really intimate thing to do with your friend that you're also <laughs> having sex with the same woman at the same time. I mean, there are boundaries in male relationships, Molly, oh and you God. don't well unspoken rules that you don't cross. It's like you might be fucking the same chick at the same time, but you don't tell another guy, you know, what to put on his that you, you don't want to talk about it. And of course, you know, inserting your dick don't, in the same person intermittently is fine. But then long, if he comes on your leg, that's yeah, not cool. As long as you don't make skin to skin contact with them <laughs> or eye contact or share a feeling, then it's not gay then you're fine. This reminds me of the Marilyn Manson rules for being gay. Yes. Um, That's yeah. Uh, Yeah. This is, that's, this is the life that slash is living. He's, he's crashing at random pads. He's there. Everyone is having sex are coming all over him. It's, Oh, I feel gross. Just thinking about it. Um, So they (laughs) finally, that's the second anecdote in 
two anecdotes of many of them having the same. It appears to not not matter much at all. I guess it just also seems like there maybe weren't that many girls into them at that point. This is around the time when they're hiring strippers to be their street team, right? Yes. Well, and that's why Duff's perspective is so funny because I feel like he's just more like, these strippers are great. Like, they're fun to hang out with. We all love them. Like, we all, you know, had our fun. Uh, But then they were just an amazing marketing team. (laughs) Duff's just a little more wholesome. Yeah. And Slash is just a little more grosser. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's brutally honest. I think it's maybe LA versus Seattle dirtbags. So I should share, cause I don't think I shared this in the last guns and roses episode is that there was an issue where Axel was charged with rape okay. for, uh, having sex with an underage girl Okay, and slash says I was there like slash was there. And I guess he, they were both with the girl, but only Axel was having sex with her. Mm-hmm. And she ended up sort of free. He said she freaked out and went back to her family and her family brought the charges against Axel. Okay. Um, and he slashes thing is like, nah, this is, this shouldn't have been a thing. This wasn't rape. However, it sounds like everyone was radically intoxicated. Yes. Which by, you know, maybe 1986 or 19. Yeah. 1986 standards. He could thought have thought that, but in 2018, to me, that's a straight up. Yes. Straight up. No. Yes. Hard um, no. So Axel ended up having to like, uh, somehow they got the charges dropped. Cause you can always get a charge dropped against a girl when she's accusing you of rape. Uh, but that, that's something that was going on at this point of recording appetite as well. Well, I'm kind of shocked that, a, that more bigger, longer term accusations. I mean, against literally everyone yeah. who was in a rock band, between 1970 and 1990. Well, I think that it would be hard. I think it's probably after 1990. (laughs) Everyone who was in a rock band in the 20th century, I think could probably have a sexual assault investigation turn up positively against them. A yes. B. I don't know if people would even bother bringing accusations against rock stars. Yes. And I will say that because if it's a specific kind of what would seem like a groupie relationship, no cop or court of law would ever yeah, find like in the, their favor because they would say, well, why were you there? Yeah. Cause that's like the assumption is like, Oh, you go, you are physically close to a rock star to have a sexual interaction yes. with them. No one was in a room with Harvey Weinstein because they wanted to fuck him. Yeah. There were, you know what I, I mean? God, I hope so. I certainly hope not. So I can totally see why. And this was maybe an anomaly of someone even trying to bother um, bringing a case against mm-hmm. a rock star yeah. because I think it would be hopeless for, and this is like a little pre big fame, pre right? big fame. They weren't yeah. big at all. So I don't I'm, know. And I certainly hope it's it doesn't depressing. sound like we're trying. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the idea is to like put context around it, but not like, Oh yeah. No, I, I think, I think it was fucked up and I don't think that anyone should be having sex with anyone, anyone who's underage, who's underage yes. or intoxicated. Right. Um, yeah, that's it's, and it's disturbing to see how, under rug swept it gets yeah. uh, in Slash's book, um, especially since he doesn't even have a good relationship with Axel, or he didn't. Yes, that would have been a great opportunity for him but to be I like. Mean, uh, but he was there. But he, he was, was there, and it would implicate and would to admit that there was anything wrong done would also implicate his own self and attitude. So there's no mm-hmm. way that that in this litany of of drug and rock star behavior that that he's going to reflect on anybody's uh, uh, wrongdoing other yeah. than his. I'm sure his own that he will approach and and say you know what that one time i did do too many drugs yeah for that i'm sorry to myself and myself (laughs) i forgive you (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure if you ask slash if he thought that he had ever had sex with anyone against their will, he would have been like, absolutely not. Yes. Um, because I'm sure that's how all of these people felt at mm-hmm. that time. Um, not that that's correct or right. Anyway, um, some dark undertones to this little party of getting this album recorded. Um, but they record Appetite, they release it, and it's released to little or no fanfare as uh, Slash <laughs> Is says. there any recording story- stories? Because I seem to remember hearing about hearing uh, stuff about Slash like laying down tracks like hundreds of times. Um, he kept having to record them over and over because he was having trouble. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Okay. I forgot about this. He was having trouble getting a good guitar sound. Do you know why? Why? Cause he sold all of his gear for drug money in the process of, of waiting between to signing and waiting to record. Yep. So he had, so he did have to record a lot, but it was only because he couldn't find the right combo of gear because he kept selling it to buy more heroin yes and then so okay, he finally gets he says I think himself maybe punctures through the uh the ultra perfectionist uh image because i well, the way i heard it I, mm-hmm. was that they had to record like hundreds of takes on certain songs to get the right sound and i was like oh it's because you know they're so interested in or there's such a perfection about their sound and you knew exactly what they wanted yeah so, no they kept hawking their gear yeah no i think it's a combination of perfectionism in wanting he's i think he's a little bit of a studio head in mm-hmm. that way but then it also is like because of sloppiness yeah um and he says his guitar sound on appetite cannot be replicated he's like can't be done bitches um because i guess obviously there's like message boards and youtube yeah yeah. everyone's trying to figure out how to do it where did you put the amp where did you place the mics or whatever and he's like i think the studio environment was special and like you can't just recreate that but also he so he rented a custom marshall amp customized marshall amp um that he right because he had no amps of his own because because he he kept them yeah 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 Hey, he, you know what? You can't you can't pawn rented gear. <laughs> well, so <laughs> so he recorded it and he loved this amp and he tried to keep it by reporting it stolen. So he reported it stolen to the rental, rental uh, the rental company. But his guitar tech returned it without him knowing, and so the rental place was like no it's not stolen we have it but you're that was that's really weird so we're not giving this back to you oh no so the the custom marshall amp is lost to the rental scene of of los angeles yeah i love good stories about unreplicable sounds because obviously Mm -hmm. any sound is unreplicable perfectly Mm -hmm. but i love stories about like you know, I was reading about like Johnny Marr recording the How Soon Is Now song mm-hmm. sound, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we were just fucking around for days on that thing, and that and just recorded what we ended up with. I have no idea what we did to get there." Yeah. So you can't replicate the uh, the How Soon Is Now wobble 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 tone because they don't even know what they were fucking doing. That's I think that's cool. I kind of like not not being able to there. I just listened to um, Solange's Solange Knowles cranes in the sky song exploder. Mm-hmm. And she basically, she had to use a track that, um, uh, that her producer gave her whole, uh, on a CD because she lost the stems and she's like, I would never want to recreate this track because it just wouldn't sound the same. So we had to work with what we had. Um, I think that some of the stuff is kind of cool that it's un irreplicable. Yeah, that's great. Having to just work off of the the waves, the dot wave files. Yeah. So yeah, this the the recording process happens, um, and Appetite comes out, and like nothing, nothing 
is a thing. Big silence. Uh, big silence. So they hit the road um, as opening acts for the most part. Um, they open for the cult. They open for Alice Cooper. Slash is really excited to work with Alice Cooper because he has snake. Ah, uh, yes, he does have snake. And he says he actually gives some tips to the snake handler because uh, um, I guess he knows more than a... Can you imagine Slash like Slash explaining uh, snakes? snakes to, to the Alex Cooper snake guy? <laughs> like, actually, uh, that's not really the optimum temperature. They, no, they, take, they like it more when you uh, hold their head firmly by the base of the... Like, aren't you the guitar guy from the opening band? Do, have you heard Slash talk? No. Me I've, neither. No. We'll have to maybe pipe in a clip because yeah. I've never... This is all just... Again, don't know anything about Slash. Oh, the man, the mystery, the enigma. Um, Slash splaining snakes. They also go, they go on tour with Iron Maiden and Iron Maiden has a like Arctic set, including yeah. a, uh, an sort of a glacier. Uh-huh. And he says at one point, you know, the, on their first date, they couldn't sound check because the glacier wasn't <laughs> ready. <laughs> Just like every 80s excess yes, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sorry, guns. You guys can't sound check. We're putting the glacier in place. Can we just plug into our amps for a few minutes? No, the glacier. No. The show was not the same without the glacier. Glacier wasn't built in a day. <laughs> it actually has to be. Um, he gained some tour wisdom, such as uh, McRibs are good. They had um, McRibs back then? They had, I think that might have been an early iteration Mc, of the McRib. McRib. Um, uh, McRibs are good. And he says he learned at a Canadian tour date that uh, a wonderful side effect of leather pants, when you pee yourself in them, they're more forgiving than jeans. This tells you everything you that need does to know about. That, wow, that's good advice. It makes sense. Yeah, because it's all black it's and natu- vinyl. Well, yeah. and it's like a, na- a natural material, so it can maybe absorb liquids i would think that it keeps the liquids out so it mostly just stays within your leg rather than soaking yeah, through. yeah it has a, an occlusive um yeah effect as opposed to jeans it's just like you're damp yeah you're damp, you got a buddy. spot uh they go on tour with motley crew uh as you might recall from duff's recounting of the motley crew tour is that there's one band on earth that can party harder than guns and roses and that's motley crew yes um they tried to do it duff tried to do it and he pissed he's like pissed blood or he coughed up blood oh, he vomited blood he vomited blood yes um slash is passed out after a night of partying with motley crew and tommy lee uh took a picture of slash with tommy lee's balls dangling in front of slash's face oh, just a classic jape classic teabag um and that became the official image for their backstage passes <laughs> which sure is slash love that another you know little nugget of uh, what this sort of sexual culture is like what time. do you think an original copy of one of those uh ball and mouth backstage passes from like these tours uh wow. is worth right now i bet you could probably a grand, maybe a, a grand uh, if anybody ever listening to this has physical evidence of the existence of one of these rock objects I would like to see it. Please yes. tweet it at me. Yes, please. RT. Um, and they also tour with uh, Aerosmith, uh, as we might remember from Joe Perry's uh, yeah. book. Uh, Aerosmith gifts them a, uh, a set of nice luggage at the end. Oh, yes, they're very. Uh, which Slash still uses. And it's very thrifty of him. Slash says <laughs> that. I love that Slash uses 30 year old luggage. He doesn't. He Slash is like the Marie Kondo of guitarists. He doesn't care about things at all. He says he has zero memorabilia. He left his first VMA in the back of a cab. um, And that's where it ended up. Um, His wife bought, she got replicas made of all their platinum albums and he had them up for a week. And then he's like, I hate these. And he put them in the basement. He doesn't like physical stuff. 
That's amazing. It's great. Um, when they tour with Amber Aerosmith, Aerosmith is newly sober at the time. And uh, guns are required to drink their alcohol in unmarked cups and to not talk about cocaine. <laughs> Can you just not, you know, it's not that you don't have to do it. Just not, don't talk just about don't it. Don't talk about it. But although if you've ever been around people doing cocaine, it's very hard for them not to talk about cocaine. I, I imagine that they slipped up often. Yes. Uh, especially Steven Adler, who has a serious, serious substance abuse problem yes. at this point. They all, they all do. Not but Adler is the real, uh, the real vector in. Yeah. Um, so this is also around the time that Axel starts showing up very late for gigs. Uh, and around the same time that Appetite actually hits it big. And Slash says that we became the most popular band in the nation. <laughs> um, just all of a sudden. So with the success of the band, Slash says that the need to survive was no longer motivation. So each of us became a boy in a bubble at that point. No longer did I need my bandmates jizz all over my thighs. <laughs> well, it is suddenly kind of like, I could pay for strangers to jizz on my thighs. <laughs> I can have the, the house so big that no one will ever jizz on me again. <laughs> I will be jizz free. Um, yeah, they they all were banded together so tightly because no one had any money. Yes. And so they were living with each other, squatting together, rehearsing all the time. And I was like, Oh, I, we don't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So like Sla- Duff literally goes back to Seattle yeah. after the tour is done and gets married. Yes. And so it's kind of, I feel like it's weirdly isolating mm-hmm. that, that everyone- they just all like split apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Slash says at this point, he says he was in search of someplace dark. He didn't want to act like a rock star. The only thing he wanted to do was stay at home and do a bunch of drugs. Um, he said he had a raggedy heathen mentality. He buys a house. He redesigns the house, um, you know, with different colors and different rooms. He says that my favorite drug bathroom was painted entirely black. <laughs> wow. It's extremely goth. Imagine a little house tour by Slash. Here's my kitchen, which I never use because I don't eat food. I just eat McRibs. And here's my favorite drug bathroom. Well, here's the master drug bathroom. And here's the guest drug bathroom. But when we go downstairs to the lounge, this is my favorite drug bathroom. You can't see a thing in it. Um, He also has 90 snakes and reptiles in this house. God, this seems like a disgusting place. Yeah, but he built it out real nice. Like he says, everything is optimized for For snake handling, for snake handling so they can have fun. But also like he says, he builds his stairs to be clear, like made of and then puts a bunch of snakes in them. So or that actually more so the snakes can be like visible at all times. It's not like snakes are hiding in the corners. It's like he always knows what the snakes are doing. Okay, so he has eyes on the snakes. Still a fuck ton of snakes. It's a lot. It's 90 is a lot. Um, so they need to record a second album. How to, how do we do this now that we all don't live in a <laughs> shithole together? Um, Axel is like, I want to make this record in Indiana. <laughs> and Slash is like, I don't. That, uh, I would rather. Is like, we, let's not. So, so they go to we're Chicago. We're a band who has been living and breathing Los Angeles for the last <laughs> 10 years. Everything about us is extremely, extremely wedded to LA. Yeah. Our album is about LA. Yeah. The lead song on it is a, a love ode to the loathsomeness of LA culture. The previous band that this came from was literally called LA Guns and Hollywood Rose. Oh, let's go to Indiana. <laughs> let's go to Indiana, baby. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the the cornfield. Welcome to the cornfield. We've got lots of corn. We've got lots of maize. <laughs> oh, we should stop recording it right yeah, now. Yeah, just go right there. Can't song. top that. Um, so they go to Chicago, which is the compromise. <laughs> Nobody wants this. No one wants that. That's an insult to Chicago. Too. Yeah, it is. Also. Uh, yes. The your classic, third, your third choice for recording. Between, yes. The classic compromise that makes no one happy. I love it. Um, middle of the country. It's cold as fuck. How, how could you go wrong? Um, slash at this point, he's off heroin. He's on booze. He drinks his, the breakfast of champions, which is he, the classic 85% vodka, 15% cranberry juice that Duff is also. Fond oh, of. yes. Um, he says sometimes after their morning vodkas, they go to the gym together. Oh, isn't that cute? Yes. Um, he also says that he has to drag himself out of bed to get his vodka cranberry first thing in the day in order to do anything. He says that Duff will make a drink put it on his bedside and have it so, and with a lot of ice in it so that he'll wake up and he'll have his vodka cranberry. Wow. It's not normal. <laughs> that is uh, some severe alcoholic behavior. It's pretty fucked up. Um, amazing, you know, sort of meal prep, like it, yeah, mentality. The, the, the stability and the foresight is, is kind of impressive. Just not, not functional. Especially when I imagine that you're mostly going to bed having just finished your like 18th vodka crayon of the day. Right. You're going to bed at like six in the morning, probably. Um, Yeah. So then after deciding to have this songwriting summit in Chicago, Axel just doesn't show up for like a couple weeks. Doesn't show. After he does slash gets frustrated with the sort of climate of negativity and he leaves. Yes. So this is the classic Axel slash dynamic. Axel Mm -hmm. fucks things up because he doesn't, He's on in his mind. He's not doing anything wrong. Yes. And then he gets there and slash is overwhelmed with this negative feeling. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying engaging, yes. doing something about it, he's like, he just dips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is going nowhere. He says the writing process of uh, use your illusion. One and two is a complete fucking chore <laughs> <laughs> emphasis on chore. Um, he, so it, it's like pulling teeth. Um, and he says like, it's just the opposite of recording appetite when everyone was kind of on the same page and now no one's on the same page no one's writing together everyone's kind of bringing in these sort of pieces and snippets and axel's putting them together and axel's getting a little control freaky blah 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 yes this recording process ends with slash on heroin again (laughs) uh but heroin and cocaine he says i thought a speedball would be like a narcotic reese's peanut butter cup two great tastes that i knew would go great together i mean he's probably he's not wrong but (laughs) Not in the right way. (laughs) Willy Wonka of drugs. Um, He ends up doing so much cocaine and heroin together that the label is like, you need to go to Arizona and And dry dry out. So I don't think he's at a rehab. I think he's at like a nice resort in Arizona Mm -hmm. where, you know, someone maybe has like three occasional eyeballs on him, but like he's basically was sent there by himself. Uh He goes and brings a, a huge stash of drugs. Um, and he ends up in a sort of cocaine psychosis. Essentially. He says he is haunted by quote, translucent blue gray shadow monsters with dreadlocks. <laughs> so he calls them predators. Oh my God. And he says that he had been ever since he started doing speedballs, he'd been like living with these hallucinations for a while. So these guys are, they're sort of his friends, sort of his enemies. These hallucinations of these predators are always, there i mean you you've seen predator have have you seen predator Mm -mm. 
so in the movie Predator, the Predator is an alien with alien dreadlocks that kind of turns invisible in this kind of cool shimmery blue effect. When did Predator come out? Like 87. Okay, so he's directly... He's having pre- hallucinations of Predators. Branded hallucinations. They, these are official licensed content hallucinations from the movie Predator starring future Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, future Governor Jesse Ventura. That's insane. We should watch Predator. That movie rules. Um, it's it's great. one of the classics of 80s action cinema. I can't wait to more clearly visualize these, what uh, was haunting slash. these speedball hallucinations. <laughs> yes. So he ends up, he's so uh, just horrifically screwed up and high at this place that he he's cowering in the shower after having shot up and he's bleeding everywhere. And then he, the predators are chasing him and he has to bust through a shower door, gets glass everywhere, gets all cut up and he runs naked on the lawn outside covered in broken glass, covered, covered in, in blood, broken glass naked. and blood naked running from imaginary demons. And finally the hotel is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get a hold of you. <laughs> Someplace in fucking Arizona. It's Think of dark. all the normies who must have been around there. Yeah. Um, so he kind of, he. I think he gets a hold of his life a little bit after that. I think he stops mixing those two, the chocolate and peanut butter. Yes. But meanwhile, they kick out Steven Adler for doing too many drugs. Which Finally. Slash says he's, it seems ridiculous because obviously everyone in guns is basically has a problem, but Steven Adler has most problem. He's also the conduit through which the the uh, the bad substances f- flow most freely. Yes. Um, they kick him out. They replace him with Matt Sorum from the cult and they finish Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Um, note that they start their mega tour before the album's even finished. <laughs> and they tour for two and a half years before and during and after the release of Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which go to the charts on numbers 1 and 2, respectively. Yes. So they're still running high. Yeah. The world loves them. Um, That tour, by the way, it's the longest tour in rock and roll history at the time. Do you know who currently holds this record? I do not know who currently holds the record for longest tour in rock and roll history. 30 seconds to Mars? No. According How? to the record website, they did they've done like 306 shows on their a tour. Is it well is their tour just whenever Jared Leto isn't doing something? Maybe. But maybe Jared Leto. See, I don't understand these things cuz it's like you just you just call don't stop calling it a tour. Yeah. Just like just say we're all on one tour and keep announcing more dates. Who says when the tour ends? Perhaps that is what they did. That was a a, a strategy on 30 seconds to Mars. They're sort of gaming they, the system. They announced dates 10 years out. Yes. I don't I don't buy it. <laughs> I, look, okay, if I'm counting tours, I say you it counts as a tour if you announce the tour and have a full lineup of shows. And mm-hmm. then do all the shows that you announce. And when you've done all the shows that you announce at the beginning, maybe with like a few exceptions to like maybe extend the back end by a few dates or, or some extra dates in between. Yes. But you have to announce the lineup, go do them all and end. And that's a tour. Okay. So, I mean, they did it. It's three 309 shows in two years. Damn. So that's a lot. Yes. I don't, I don't know if it would fit your criteria of, you know, calling your shot. Well, I just want the fucking 30 seconds to Mars tour t-shirt that has 309 dates on the back. <laughs> That'd be a great t-shirt to have for whether you're a fan of 30 seconds to Mars or not. Um, 
anyway, so yes, they they are they're huge, they're massive, they're selling they're out tours, they're big, they're large, they're in charge. Um, but they've become a whirling dervish of miscommunication that spent money like it was water. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like such a crazy scene. Um, this was at the the time that um, their management was paying for lavish theme parties. Oh, yes. Backstage yes, yes, yes. or after the show and um, on their days off, taking them, you know, scuba diving and boating and paragliding. And it's so funny also to imagine I, all those things that like four drugged out lunatic who mostly only wear like top hats and belts and then your tour being like, Hey, you want to go wave riding and then being like beach people the next day. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like, like what kind the- of trunks does Axl Rose own in 1991? Oh my God. But wh- whatever they are, they were definitely picked out for him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He, he might pick out his own trunks, whatever beach where the rest of them had was definitely just handed to them. <laughs> Could you trust slash to bring his own bathing suit and keep it with him on tour? No, no. Um, yeah. So they, and Axel's chronic lateness is still a thing. Uh, even, becomes more even and more for the thing. paragliding. No, <laughs> I think he gets to paraglide on time, okay. or rather, they won't start paragliding until Axel's there. Um, it's not an excursion without without Axel. Um, he they start uh, a riot is started in St. Louis after Axel leaves the stage early, mm-hmm. causes two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage. Um, it's the same thing of, you know, getting on stage one hour, two hour, three hours late every night. Imagine do anything in your, anything you do in your entire life causing $200,000 worth of damage and not thinking about it every day for the rest of your entire life. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, wow. I, yeah, the, (laughs) um, slash says it's estimated at one point that they're blowing 80% of their tickets, ticket sales, on union dues for overtime. That's a, it's a great way to run a tour. But hey, uh, I like that story because it's a bunch of union guys getting paid. At one point when Slash is talking about just how amazed and odd and thrilled he is to be on these amazing mega tours, um, he says the feel that he likes to get there early when they're building the stages, building the sets and just being like, I love having these like union guys running around and like getting our shit set up. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slash pro union. Yes. He doesn't seem to be. He's not mad at the union guys for needing to get paid extra. He's mad at uh, Axel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody should be uh, the. Izzy Stradlin also quits at a certain point. He's just like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, Slash, he says he sort of rebels by getting further and further into drugs. So he ODs on heroin one night. um, And he says, so they have a man, they have a manager change from the manager that everyone was basically fine with, except Axel hated to an Axel fave named Doug Goldstein. And Doug stages an intervention for Slash and at one point, he throws a bottle of Jack Daniels through a TV to make a dramatic point. Sounds like a your classic, well-orchestrated, therapeutically sound intervention. Uh, slash inspects the bottle, realizes that it didn't break, and pours himself a stiff drink to uh, get over the the stress it's of a, having good, been intervened on. It's a good joke. It is a good joke. Um, so, yeah, things are messy, messy as fuck. Uh Meanwhile, by the way, he's been dating this girl named Renee. Renee got him to propose, gets him to propose with an ultimatum. Okay. Either you're settling down with me or I'm moving on. We're through. 
Um, cool. So they get engaged. They're going to get married. He meets this girl from his semi past, a girl he's met a couple times and probably had sex with named Perla. Um, and then she cut, she crashes his bachelor party. Uh, and he immediately feels a, you know, a stirring in his loins for this girl. He's like, Oh, she looks great. And I, you know, I'm really feeling her like there, we had some, we just had this certain something going on. Uh, he slept with her the night before his wedding. Oh, come on, dude. Uh, Slash. All He's these, all these guys don't have the bachelor party the night before your. What are you even doing? Ugh. I know such a bad idea. I guess yeah. you know what's the difference between hangovers when you live like him. Well the, well, the classic like night before the wedding bachelor party is like let's just spin, let's just spin the Russian roulette gun one more time, see if see what happens. Crazy. Um, but he he's married to Renee for five years, but I guess by the end of it, it was clear just that they weren't. Uh, they weren't happy. He was acting like a single guy and he was stooping Perla uh, for Still? the last little, not the whole time, but for the last little bit of their relationship. Uh, okay. Because um, I was going to say, if he w- went throughout, then technically the relationship with Perla lasted longer than the <laughs> marriage. Uh, yeah. Um, he, he eventually, he marries, he marries Perla. He makes an honest woman, woman out of her. Well, you know, if he ended up with Perla in the end, uh, you know, maybe that was what was just meant to be. Maybe. Um, they, so guns get back home from their use your illusion tour, uh, and shit really starts falling apart. And slash says, if you've ever wondered what the sound of a band breaking up sounds like, <laughs> listen to guns and roses cover of sympathy for the devil. Okay. Well, do we, well, we want to listen first to them at their peak guns and rosiness with November rain? Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of November rain. Uh, because this is also a very slash centric video. Okay. So this, in my mind, is the slash pop cultural moment. Okay, it is the one of the climaxes of the film of the music video for November Rain. Slash dramatically walks out of a church in the middle of the desert, and we cut from the band playing. In this, in a uh, uh, auditorium, to the helicopter, helicopter shot, shot of Slash soloing, not connected to anything, just in the middle of the desert in front of a church. <sighs> this is the slashiest moment of pop culture. This is so slashy. Just guitaring in the desert. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> There's so many cuts it's in so this montage. Over it's so film. good. It's so great. Anyway. Oh my god. Anyway, I, I recommend jumping to three minutes and fifty one seconds in the November Rain video to uh, just really absorb the 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 pure guitar emotion of Slash in the desert in front of a church, just just going to town, really letting you know what that November Rain feels like. How does it feel? Anyway, dusty, <laughs> dusty. <laughs> so, Here, here's the thing I would like to say about this video is that it. I just love that it's like a nine. 
eight minute song. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a short film. And right, it's a short film. It's narrative. It's about, you know, there's a wedding, there's a love story. And yet people still in 1980, not 19, eight, no, nine? that's, that's like, like 91. Oh, yeah, 91. They still have not managed to separate. At least guns people have not managed to separate the idea that you can have a music video without showing a live performance. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they still have to cut back. So they're cutting from Slash playing the song with the band mm-hmm. in a live performance in a theater yes. to Slash when he goes into the solo, cinematically taking the solo, still with a guitar in on location within the narrative of the video. Oh, just crazy. Anyway, here is... Um, so yeah, that was the band when they, you know, wasn't it was hard to kind of get their shit together, but they got their shit together and they still had some massive songs obviously off of the yeah. illusions. But Sympathy for the Devil which was recorded for the movie Interview with the Vampire. Ooh, classic. Is slash saying that they're that they're most unhappy. Oh, they're most unhappy. Is there anything specific that we should be listening for in this? Just the general quality and cohesiveness and creativity of, or lack thereof of the song. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man. Well, the funny thing here is that they're just like. For this Rolling Stones song, they're so obviously like a band to cover it. It's just that they don't add anything to this. Yeah. You know, like they add to Knocking on Heaven's Door. That's yes. like. A, 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 guns, a different song made a Guns N' Roses song. This is just like them being like a wedding cover band. Yes, exactly. I'm going to skip a little forward to this. Let's see if we can get some of that tasty, tasty solo. So far, this is all whispering. See, my favorite thing about the original Rolling Stones uh Sympathy for the Devil is the way that Richard takes the solo where it seems like he keeps forgetting that he's taking yeah. a solo where he's like oh yeah oh there's more yeah. funny you bring up uh, you know Keith's forgetful guitar style in that song yeah this is fine I, I understand what he's saying because it's like there's there's like nothing going on here but them playing another song yeah but being not a band that covers songs, but a cover band. Mm-hmm. Right, which cannot feel good. I just imagine the self-loathing of Slash recording that solo and being like, it's this like, is just, just not. Soloing, just being like, yeah, whatever. It's a fucking... <sighs> I just don't have any heart in this solo. Um, it's still like... <laughs> Slash talked about a gig, I think, on the Appetite tour where he had accidentally taken sleeping medication on a plane classic mix up and then not slept. Mm -hmm. So he had kept himself awake and then he had drank and they did the show and he was trying to get into the solo for sweet child of mine. (laughs) And he said it took him literally 10 minutes to get the first eight notes out. (laughs) And I'm sure just the rest of the band kind of like kept Kept just jamming and being like, when you're ready, buddy. (laughs) That's Uh, like uh, the, the Reddit site for Ambien. Oh my God. Where people take Ambien and then post as the Ambien's kicking in. Yes. It's like that, but as a rock, rock song. 
posts on this uh, posts on this the top page of RB Ambient right now include the posts that just says how much uh, teaching my good boy to platy Fortnite. Mm. Am I the only one that can see th- th- liters in 3D on his fawn? Mm. So this is the kind of mental state. Yes. And imagine that and then having to get through the, the sweet child of mine solo <laughs> live in front of people. Uh, you, you're I you've just described my newest anxiety nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he so yes the band is obviously recording these sort of weird vanity covers for <laughs> yes. uh for music soundtracks it's just never that being said i do really be. like their cover of live and let die yes yes uh that's pretty good do you want to play that no we can go on okay uh he but meanwhile slash has assembled his snake pit <laughs> so it's sort of a side band which he did by kicking the door open to his house and screaming snake pit assemble as thousands of snakes cover him and turn him into a giant snake monster right <laughs> sounds like a good cartoon yes um so the snake pit is matt sorum um and gilby clark who is the replacement guitarist for izzy stradlin and then the basis for alice and change it chains and the uh, vocals of Jellyfish live guitarist Eric Dover. Are you familiar with the The work of Jellyfish? The band Jellyfish? I have never heard of Jellyfish. I hope this isn't us showing uh, showing showing some 90s. Yeah. Power pop band from San Francisco. It formed after Beatnik Beatnik Beach broke up. Beatnik Beach sounds like a good bar name. Yeah. It had two LPs, Belly Button and Spilt Milk. I don't I don't Belly Button by yeah. Jellyfish? Yeah, I don't I don't fucking know who this is. Andy right. Sturmer? Well, this guy was good enough to be in slash a snake pit. He yeah. was called called to the pit. He was called to the pit. And he said and he slithered yes. he slithered in there. He slithered in. Well, he's like, Well, I don't know. Like I played for jellyfish and I'm playing for snake pit. What kind of like class of animal are we talking about? <laughs> who am I? Um so he has a lot of fun with Snake Pit because it's sort of back to basics, rock and roll, stripped down. He's saying he was getting a little annoyed by Axel's tendency to really like build up the instrumentation around mm-hmm. uh, the illusion songs. Like when they went on their second tour, they had horns, they had saxophones, they had mm-hmm. two backup singers, they had a pianist for the first time ever. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I can live with this, but also kind of I don't I just want to do the guitars. I just want to do the guitar things. Uh, Snake Pit tours around and then he is basically called called off his tour by Geffen when Axel's like, I want to record again. So the leash is pulled. Oh, not we, happy. Yeah, and we all know that that, that is going to be a very uh, fruitful and productive recording session. And this snake you cannot charm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he he says that the whole process of, of you know a third or I guess fourth album uh, was dictated by Axel and I was suffocated by the tension. So the the classic dynamic continues where Axel is being a control freak and Slash refuses to uh, St- stand up for himself. Um, and he says he feels so much negative energy that at a certain point he, he wakes up one day and he's just suicidal. Like he wants, he's like, if I had enough heroin around me at the time, I would have just taken the hit and ended it. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, he's real depressed. I wonder if it's because he's like doing a bunch of drugs and hanging out with this volatile. Yeah. Well also Axel Rose is just a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, it's hard to, I think mismanagement was a big part of, yeah 
this too but then so he just quits he he just he throws in the towel and is yeah. like i can't do this anymore and he says he's like for the record the reasons i i quit is because we were late all the time getting on stage we would cancel shows for no reason we had lost our original lineup and things didn't feel the same and axel doing that shady thing where he asked for legal control of the band's name right um those were the the reasons uh, those are pretty good fucking reasons to quit a band yeah I mean, just like uh, as much of a, a, a junkie as he is at the at this point, you know, wanting to be a professional musician and like go on when you're supposed to is like very basic stuff. Yeah, he's, I don't know. That, that, that is, is the thing that would annoy me of being like, let's just fu- all we have to fucking do is get on stage and do the show. Mm-hmm. It's it. And yeah. if you can't do that, then what are we even doing here? And he said, you know many members of guns and roses had substance issues, but the substance issues never caused band breakdowns. Like everyone got there. That was Duff's rule. It's like, I can do it. I can do it as much as possible as long as I can still get on stage and play bass when I need to. Exactly. Um, so they kept true to their word there. Yeah. Um, and he said, it's funny. He references talking to Keith Richards. Actually, they, I think they were doing some sort of little goofy side thing yeah. together at one point as things happen. And Keith, he's, he, <laughs> they were shooting a sketch for a friend <laughs> <laughs> and Keith, uh, they're slash is talking about how he's basically done with his band and mm-hmm. he wants to quit. And Keith is just like, never leave, mm-hmm. like never ever leave. And slash is like, of course you w- would say that because you're in the Rolling Stones. Like mm-hmm. I guess slash just didn't think of the guns and roses the way he would yeah. think of the Rolling Stones. I mean, I think that that's probably the right advice. I, I I'm sure that these people, that these guys didn't really, well, I don't know what kind of like legal work framework they were under, but I feel like it's, you don't leave because then you give up your rights to the thing that you've mm-hmm. made. So mm-hmm. you got to just be like, I'm not doing anything until we can yeah. come to an amicable mm-hmm. compromise solution. Right. As long as you don't literally speak the words, I quit. Yes. You're still, it's your fair game. Yes. But he was going to kill himself. I mean, so well, he says. desperate times. Yeah. So he quit. He says, I consider it one of the smartest decisions I've ever made. Uh, he then is like, what what do I do with my life? <laughs> and so he has this like kind of dark time. Not that he hasn't had a dark time being uh, haunted by translucent monsters. Yeah, that already sounds pretty dark. But he so he goes on tour with Nile Rodgers and Sheik actually shortly after he leaves Guns, and he has a great time. Um, he plays with Sheik. He plays with Sheik. Oh my God! Is there any? Ironically, is there any footage of this? Ironically, he was actually on their Japan dates. Do you remember when Nile's writing partner Bernard? Uh, Edwards dies Died of pneumonia. Japan, yeah. He was there. Oh my gosh. Not in the room, but he, he, did he kill? <laughs> we un- unlocking a mystery. And he says that now Rogers is just like, he's, he's the shit. He slept Fucking with one of his backup let's singers. Honestly, because we're in, I, we're running a little long, but you know, this is our one year and we, we deserve it. Um, let's, because it's a good crossover. Let's listen to a little of now Rogers Sheik and Slash playing La Freak live at Budokan in Japan. Great. This honestly looks so similar to when we just saw them. Really? Yeah. Great. Here we go. Thank you. 
weird because Slash, Nile Rodgers and Sheik are dressed like 70s disco glam and Slash looks like fucking Slash. Yeah. But they're all, and they've got like the backup dancers doing this whole like disco thing. But they they both look like they're having a great time. And it's like the whole of Sheik clears the stage. Yeah. For Slash to just come in like rip solos. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it works. It's great. It is a very odd combination to be happening in like the middle of the 90s. I don't know. Wow. I would never in a middle years have guessed that that Slash's immediate post Guns N' Roses was fucking chic. And it's amazing. Like he got the call and he was like, absolutely. Nile Rogers is. He's he's a guy. He's the shit. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, they. That that was a an early post guns project. This is, honestly looks like a really fucking good time. Yeah, um, he officially gets divorced. He then has just a lot of trouble putting a band together. That he the snake pit is not assembling. The snake pit has to disband, and then he's just he's trying to staff up, and he just can't do it. Um, Basically, he's looking for extremely high caliber musicians, but on the level of like raw talent, like he doesn't want to work with anyone. It he with names or anything. Knows, yeah, or names. And he doesn't want to do something with the ex Guns boys. Because by the way, like Guns N' Roses basically completely disbanded. Yeah, it, it collapses. Like, yeah, he's the he snips the thread and then everyone else. Well, you can't else have Guns N' Roses without Slash. Uh, like, I don't want to, you know, disparage the drum talents of of uh, Steven Adler, mm-hmm. but it's like, or even like Duff, but like the thing that is Guns N' Roses is the voice of Axl Rose and the guitar yeah. of Slash. Right. You got to have both. Yeah. The two great tastes that taste great, taste great together. together that aren't a speedball. That aren't. <laughs> it's okay. a speedball of pure rock and roll. Yeah. That's a good kind. We can all do We can all deal with that. Yeah. Uh, he so and he really just he doesn't want to do like an ex guns band. Yeah, but he uh, in his search. So he oh, along the way, he also suffers a uh, cardiac myopathy, which is your heart swelling to the point of it almost exploding. Yes. So what Duff did to his pancreas uh, two almost organ explosions in the same band. Yeah, uh, he he was given like weeks to live potentially. Holy shit. And then he had to chill out and this is from drinking this is not from heroin although i'm sure it didn't help it's insane how much heroin and cocaine that these guys did and still got the thing that got them was and was doing that much drinking on top of it yes insane the the legal thing they did yes um he so yeah then he's kind of like all right i gotta slow down but he ends up reuniting with uh duff and matt sorum for a fundraiser concert and they play together and they have a great time. And he's like, what if we just did this? Did this? Um, and then he, he, they give birth to Velvet Revolver. Um, they find uh, Scott Weiland, RIP, RIP, uh, to sing for them. I, I didn't realize this from Duff's book, but at the, when they were recording their first album, Scott Weiland had violated his parole and he was only allowed to work three hours a day because he was living at a halfway house. Did you know this? No, really that's tough stuff. Really, that makes it tough to write and record a major rock album, but but easier than working with Axl Rose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thinking about that, oh, um, man, yikes! So, uh, let, you want to listen to something from Contraband? Yeah, I'm gonna put on the one the one that most now reminds me of Slash, which is I assume the one 
that was created to around his love of snakes. That is Slither. Ooh, yeah. It is hard rocking. This is like a Guitar Hero track. Yes. I remember this on my yeah. alternative rock radio. You know, I just hear this and I'm just like, all I can think of is I'm glad these boys get to have fun together. Especially since it is so not what was happening in yeah. rock music or music. In yeah, this 2004. is 2004. Uh, this is still like viable music in 2004, but it's really coming down. And like, you know, the garage rock revival yeah. was happening at this time. The yeah, this is like this coming up this uh, out against like, like the White Stripes. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs or yeah, yeah. Arcade Fire. Like, this is yeah, this pretty. Is like the, yeah, this is right around when uh, fucking. Uh, yeah, the first Arcade Funerals drops. Yeah. Um, this is It's a perfectly fine song. <laughs> I know, it's pretty good. I know we were we were I would just put this on a running mix. We were just uh, uh, making jokes about uh, White Christmas and the song. Uh, what do you do with a general when he stops <laughs> being a general? And sometimes I think about that with like, what do you do with a slash when he stops, stops being, being a slash? slash. Oh, that's mm. he still needs a space to rock. There's just no room for screaming solos in pop music right now, and it really depresses me because, God damn it. Screaming solos are great. He should work with The Weeknd. I think they could make something amazing That'd together. That'd be an amazing collabo. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's a great idea. Hard, hard, like, blistering solos meets sad, sad Toronto-ism. Oh, that'd be dope. This The Weeknd really should pair with somebody who can do, like, big, monumental instrument, like, uh, uh, live instrumental things, whether or not it's, like, guitar solos. But, you know... Operatic rock songs, yeah, like drama. fucking appetite. Mm-hmm. We were talking before the start, where like like every song on that album is like a an op a mini opera piece yeah. or something. Yeah, and Slash has that you know dirty grungy. Uh, did some things in Los Angeles that I regret feeling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that would be amazing. It, you know, I think Velvet Revolver was what slash needed and what duff needed and yeah. might not have been what the world needed but he was he was happy with it um the the end of this book just gets a little disjointed in terms <laughs> of he literally so he 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 slowed down on the alcohol but he didn't stop drinking alcohol okay uh he got on to vicodin and Oxycontin, which is... Welcome to the mid-aughts. Yikes. Um, except most people, I think, maybe would have taken Oxycontin by mouth uh, via the pill. Uh, he was like, what would happen if I melt these down and then inject them? And he's like, oh, yeah, this works. Oh, God. Uh, slash really sla- slashed it up. Um, so he's on Viking and Oxycontin. He uh, has to go to rehab for those. His wife gets addicted to diet pills after she has their two sons. Wow. Diet pills? Diet pills. What is this? The 1961? And she has to, yeah, a little, uh, um, Valley of the dolls over here. Valley of the Valley of the roses. Um, so she has to go to rehab for diet pills, which is, insane it's weird but yeah by the way he has kids. Well, not weird but <laughs> <laughs> he has some children slip, 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 slip some kids in there 
the fun fact about his his first kid is named London because that's the city where they conceived him. Wonder if that was just the convention in societies that every person was named by where they were conceived. Oh my god! And it could be as as specific or as general. Yes. It could be like Ohio or or Vermont, or you could be like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like above the right aid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm above the right aid Wade. Nice yes. to meet you. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> the, the, the four seasons in Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> Brian, nice to meet you. But could you shorten that to your liking? Like yeah, just four, four, four O'Brien. Yeah. Oh, what's the four stand for? Four seasons. It's outside of Tempe. Arizona. Cla- I'm a classy yeah. baby. Uh, yeah. So London was, was the first kid. They named the second kid because he, his good friend, Robert Evans. God, <laughs> I don't know how they became friends. Who who knows? I mean, uh, that's just like obviously something that happened. My good personal friend sl- slash my good friend, Robert Evans. <laughs> Imagine them like splitting an Uber together. <laughs> they, they were like at a party together and uh, Slash's wife was pregnant with her first kid. And Robert Evans is like, what do you name the kid? And he's like, London, because of where they, that, where we because fucked. that's where we fucked. And, and Robert Evans, Robert is like, Evans of course, is of like, course. for your next kid, give him the coolest name that a man could ever have. Name Robert. him Cash. <laughs> oh, God, that's stupid. <laughs> so Slash's second son is named Cash. Cash. Cash Hudson, I guess. Slash and Cash. I mean, it's not terrible for Slash's kid's name, but the way the story behind it makes it much dumber. Yeah. Um, right. Yes. So, yeah, he, he has kids. His wife goes to diet pill rehab. Uh, he he got sober officially in 2006. The book came out in 2008. Okay. So it was probably finished and went to pr- like the press or whatever in 2007 Mm -hmm. things have a long tail in the publishing industry yes so when he was writing this or dictating it to his ghostwriter he had not been sober for that long (laughs) and that's why i feel like the end of this he's kind of you can see him sort of scraping for an overarching truth uh, some kind of bow to 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 tie it all together yeah you know obviously last last episode maurice white he was at the end of his life yes and he could look back and kind of obviously his life was not simple but he had some overarching themes that he could sort of touch back on for what his life in in earth wind and fire meant to him and slash is just kind of like ah i'm glad to be playing guitar now (laughs) and like it's good to be sober uh so he ends he says uh a junkie has only two options. They can get clean or they can get dead. And every day I'm glad I found the strength to take the high road. Um, and he's thinking about the book writing process. And he says, it's a good thing to understand how and why I'm the same yet different than I've always been. It's as if my personality remains, but my wisdom has grown. Yeah. Yes. I guess that's just how living works. That's just know. how people are. Oh, well, I'm glad I, I just pulled up a, uh, 2014 interview that uh where slash yeah says that he's still sober so okay, that's it, good it took yes i just you know it's a what do they call it um not not pink mist that's when someone explodes <laughs> pink haze it's something where so, shortly after you're sober this is like a, a AA thing that they say that mm-hmm. 
you you can be overcome with feelings of sort of proselytizing goodwill uh-huh. as in like, ah, yes, I've done it. I solved it. And now I want to spread, the, good spread word. the word. And I don't think that's quite what he's what he's got going on here. But I do think it's kind of like it was pretty fresh after being on drugs for 20 years. Years. Um, and I think him trying to, especially like, I don't think slash is necessarily like a big ideas guy. Yeah. And he was only slightly over 40 when this book came out. So mm-hmm. he's still pretty young, mm-hmm. a little older now. I would look forward to slash two slash two <laughs> return of the slash. <laughs> return of the slash. Uh, I just have one question, Molly. Yeah. Where do you get the name slash? <sighs> he got the name slash from his star studded childhood. Um, Grown up in L.A., he was friends with the son of the noted character actor Seymour Cassell. Okay. Um, Seymour has been in a lot of. Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this correctly. Cassavetes. 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 He was in a bunch of Cassavetes movies. He's more recently been in a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. Okay. Yes. Um, slash is friends with his son, and at a party. Uh, Seymour was said something like, "Hey Slash, where are you going? <laughs> like, hey, like, hey Slash, like, what, where are you off to?" So it's like this guy's version of Buddy or Champ. Yeah, but he says that later he named him. He gave him that nickname because he saw him as someone who was always working on his next scheme, like ah. someone who couldn't stand still. Like I think Teen Slash was very much like a scammer who loved robbery and fraud. <laughs> um, he was just always like looking for that next. So he got his name make. given to him. Yeah. I always like that in a nickname. Mm-hmm. Slash. Well, Slash, oh thank God. you for sharing your life with us. Yes, and there's a lot of life to live. And he said at the end of the book that he thinks it's a sign to ask him that if Guns and Roses will ever reunite. So obviously he's eating his words now. Uh, asinine? Asinine? Did I say a cyanine? A cyanine. It's Cut a, that. I'm not, I'm not going to. It's, it's, it is good and right to mispronounce things on podcasts. Oh. That is my official, my official line. Um, slash, extremely good at guitar. I, I <laughs> like every time I hear Slash play guitar. Here and that's, things, my, that's my take on, on Slash. Here are things he, that he's he, good at. The way that he played guitar b- make me feel good. He's good at guitar. He's good at infidelity <laughs> he's good at having children with cool names yes he's good at uh having just boiling his emotions down to very simple syrups well, how was this book as a book i mean it was entertaining it was kind of on the level of like Akitas of just you know f- drug foible after drug foible <laughs> um but he's a he's a cool character he does he does not he doesn't give a fuck like he, I think maybe he secretly does a little bit, but I would also say that mostly he just doesn't. Um, he doesn't care about your rules or your dicta. <laughs> he just wants to be slash. He's just a, he's a rebel. If you know everyone in Chic is going on stage in disco outfits, and he's not gonna do that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to me that for how big Guns N' Roses got so quickly, I think that this is really explains it about like between him and Duff that they really were just like dirt bag kids yeah uh who you know found the right combination of like play place time and style and like had just enough ambition to drive it forward now eventually we need to dig into and build a full profile of axel 
Yeah, I don't know if we're ever gonna get a memoir from him. We can. He, I, he, he's definitely done some in-depth like Rolling Stone interviews where yeah. you can get a good sense of his psyche. I mean, yeah, Axel's had some crazy shit going on where I think he said he was like abused as a kid. Yeah. Um. There's a lot to unpack with Axel. But now we've seen the two poles kind of moving around him. Uh, so eventually we'll have to dig in and do a, a real profile of Axel. Next year, perhaps. Maybe next year. Or we'll go the other way and just do Izzy and <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they've got stuff going on, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Uh, Molly, uh, unless you have any, do you have anything else that you would like to add? I have nothing else. I I will close the book of Slash. Close the book of Slash. Yes. Uh, first thing I'd like to do is shout out listener, uh, do a little listener mail. Yeah. Uh, shout out our listener, uh, Mark, who added a another song to my Spotify playlist. No. Uh, songs with surprise twist endings about aliens. So far, if you've paid attention, that uh, playlist consists of the song Come Sail Away by Styx mm-hmm. and After the Gold Rush uh, by Neil Young. Yes. Uh, both songs where you realize it's secretly about aliens uh, about two thirds of the way through. Mm-hmm. Mark suggests song careless Ethiopians, which uh, doesn't quite uh, make the surprise, the classic qualification of a third verse drop of aliens came and yes. th- that's what happened in the song. But it does have a uh, bridge in which they say they calling up an antichrist each night and day, pray for God to come from outer space, Ooh. which I think at least opens the cosmological possibility uh, that the God in the song is a uh, alien creature. So yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if that is going to quite uh, 100% make the category, but a uh, big shout out to Mark for paying attention and following up on this because it's a kind of research assistance that I really appreciate from our listeners oh, out there. Yes. Um, but that's that's my update from the the growing and introducing community. I love it. Um, so and if, if you have your own songs, yes, please share. Yes. If you have your own songs or questions or want to yell at us at anything that we get right or wrong, you can email us at and introducing pod at gmail.com. Or if you want to join that growing fan community out there, Ooh. you can find us on Twitter at and intro pod. Uh, I am also on Twitter at say what again. And, and I'm on Twitter at miss Molly Mary underrated underrated. Still, still how many followers until you get rated 1500? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Let's get you there. I'll know when I feel it. Yes. Uh, and our SoundCloud is at, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Uh, but I think that takes care of all the business and introducing pod at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. As always, uh, if you've listened to this, we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you can always go and rate and review and subscribe on iTunes, sure. whatever. What I really want you to do is tell a friend. Yeah. Go find somebody in your life, maybe a college friend that you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe it's your bachelor party the night before your wedding and an old flame from years <laughs> gone by walks in the door for some reason because you invited her. Maybe I don't she's know. She's looking hot. She's, she's looking she's like, I can't believe how young she still looks <laughs> here are my bachelor. I don't know. I'm supposed to get married tomorrow, but Ooh, something yeah. about this situation just makes me want to go over and say, Hey, there's this great goofy podcast about books about music that I think that you'd be really interested in. I've been listening to a lot of episodes and I think they're very good to listen to. 
maybe this is a good a hot tip of just like don't do an infidelity yeah tell you know whatever energy you were yeah. trying to put forward to that what if you just told them about Andrew introducing yes. instead? next time you're really fighting you're wrestling with your own demons about uh you know whether or not you should sub- sub- succumb to temptation mm. just take a deep breath and start talking about and introducing pod yeah we're not trying to break up people's lives you know no we Stay just want for the kids. We just want to promote a healthy discourse about music podcasting. That's all we want. That's our agenda. <laughs> all right. That's been enough of this long and windy outro. Uh, Molly, we've been doing this for a year. Yay! I think it's gotten quite good. I'm really happy to be doing this. Thank you. I'm happy as well. Great. I love to pod. I love to pod. Uh, and we hope you love to pod as well. Uh, so we'll see you again. We hope you love to get podded. Yes. <laughs> so we'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of And Intro Deucing! Deucing!